0: How can apartment owners make money off of dog poop? In this episode, Dylan Palmer talks about asset managing on site and how it's helped him grow his knowledge base and also discover some creative ways to increase their mixed use properties NOI. Also learn the overview of mixed use properties and why those could be an incredible asset class to get into, especially in this market. We'll hear more about that after our quick intro. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, managing partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors, welcome to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with Dylan Palmer of Urban Renewal Partners, now, Dylan is responsible for sourcing and analyzing potential new multifamily investment acquisitions across the southeastern region of the United States. Dylan has an acute understanding for interpreting positive economic and population trends to affirm value add investment decisions in select markets. During his time at Urban Renewal Partners, he has successfully assisted in the development and completion of offering packages and conducted both debt and equity modeling based on various assumption sensitivities within each commercial investment. Outside of Urban Renewal Partners, Dylan is responsible for tracking, analyzing, and forecasting financial processes for his family's investment company, KP Wolf Properties. Dylan, we're excited to have you here, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Justin, thank you very much for having me. This is great. No, we're excited you're here, man. So tell us some brief history and a background of your investing experience.
1: I would say I'm definitely still in my infancy with investing experience. So I started back really getting into commercial real estate specifically about a year and a half ago. And that stemmed from my family's influence and specifically my parents. So they started their investing career about 20 years ago with their first house being a single family investment property in La Quinta, California. And Over the course of the next 20 years, they grew their portfolio to about six single-family homes. And as I grew up, I started being exposed more and more to the investing space and real estate specifically, but never really had a predominant role or really forced to go into real estate as my career. And it wasn't until really I got into college, started studying finance, that I really got into using a business's current cash flow and being able to predict where they're going to be and whether or not they have a good stock price to invest in. And I really attribute my mom to changing my mindset and to thinking bigger because with six single family homes, where you're making you know maybe 100 to $200 a door, but that's not going to change your life. That's not going to give you this financial freedom that gurus out there say you can get passive investing and civically real estate investing. And with that being said, she really wanted me to think bigger. And with thinking bigger came commercial real estate. And when I started diving into commercial real estate, a light bulb just went off and I just fell in love and just completely dove in head first. Now with commercial real estate, the difference between smaller residential single family homes is that there's a lot more influence from emotional buyers. The first single family home and their market manipulation is a lot different. With commercial real estate, it really is just down to the numbers, right? To facts. And you're purchasing a business at the end of the day. And the question is, Will this investment, what you're purchasing it at now, are you able to either increase the income streams or decrease the expenses in order to make the business more valuable? And I dove in about a year and a half ago and met my partners now to where I started underwriting and on the acquisition side to be able to get into my first deal. And without the capital, basically give my time and effort and energy and enthusiasm, I was able to, nine months later, finally put our first deal under contract here. That was in April. I graduated school, graduated college from San Diego in May. And then we closed July and I've been living on site since. And
0: that brings me to where I am today. Fantastic. I like what you said about the single family, how it just didn't really excite you because I can't tell you the drag of emotion I felt when I did hear kind of that rule of thumb I've heard tossed around a couple of times. Oh, you'll net about one to $200 a door with single family homes after all is said and done. I just thought to myself, well, there's no way that people are really making a ton of money like that. I mean, you have to have hundreds, thousands maybe to change your life. And when you talk about, like you said, life-changing, a couple hundred bucks a month, I'm not here to discount it at all, but with all the risk involved, that just wasn't really feasible to me. So you just really went all in and- one thing that the listeners need to realize is you found out what you needed, right? You needed capital at that time. And you had certain strengths and you found somebody who needed those strengths. And that's the best way to go about it in this business. So you do a lot of mixed use properties. So it's a little more of a complex thing than just starting out with like straight retail or straight multifamily, just that little extra twist to it. So why did you end up going into mixed use? Was it something that you really liked or was it kind of just the opportunity was there? Or tell us a little bit about that.
1: I love that you say there's a little twist to it. Just that little twist has a competitive advantage in the market that we're in right now. I started solely on apartments, solely underwriting multifamily, learning how to underwrite multifamily. My first nine months were all strictly apartments. Now, when this opportunity came to us, it was something completely different. But at the same time, it gives us that advantage to where most people don't know how to underwrite or value mixed use correctly. Maybe they know how to solely underwrite apartments or multifamily, or they know how to solely underwrite triple net investments, commercial property. They don't know how to do the two. It's a whole different ballgame because you're basically taking the whole property. You're going to break it out into two parts. One part being the apartments, one part being the retail and mixed use, projecting out separate cash flows, separate reversion, separate sell prices, five, 10 years down the road, and then backing into another combined pro forma. Of both those assets. So it was able to give us that competitive advantage and we were
0: able to act quickly to be able to get this deal here. Yeah. Adds a bit of complexity to underwrite strictly multifamily with different layouts. There's a restaurant on the bottom. It's like, Mike, I don't even know what to do with that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I really applaud that. And again, finding where you fit in in the market. If people are going away from mixed use because maybe it's complex to underwrite or they're just uncertain about retail at the bottom of it because of COVID or whatever the case may be, a lot of people now are finding opportunities with office because a lot of people left the office market due to COVID. And now there's opportunity there. So when they're zigging, you zag. So that's really awesome. So you actually ended up living on site. So now are you doing all the asset management? Are you living on site because there's huge value add component to it? Or what exactly is the goal with you going there? Because that's not required for investors to live on site, but what additional value are you seeing by you going there?
1: Yeah. And I love to touch on just the mixed use aspect one more time, because you're completely right. When COVID hit, the concept of retail was completely decimated. So, it, it would never happen again. And taking that concept and saying, what is Amazon resistant? So, in the long term, what are people still going to be able to utilize in the retail market? And what's great about this asset, and it's actually right behind me right here. So, if you can see through the window, this is the retail portion. There's five tenants there and they're all health, wealth, fitness, boutique brands that people come here as a social aspect more than just here to buy something where you could just buy it online. And with the mixed use, those triple net cash flows to project out risk adverse cash flow over long periods of time. Last month had two tenants potentially rolling, and we were able to get them extended to five-year leases, which is huge. So now we can say over the next five years, we know exactly where our cash flow is going to be on the triple net portion. When we took over here, there was almost forty percent vacancy. So there's 31 apartment units, and there were 11 vacancies at the time. Yeah, so that's right. where we were able really to go in there, renovate all the 11 units, bring them up to market. Average rents before around $500, we're able to get now 699
0: So you have a really good risk-adjusted return with the mixed-use asset. You can see it as the best of the both worlds too, because with triple net and with those larger commercial properties, the difficulty lies within leasing as opposed to multifamily, the difficulties in turns and turnovers and repairs and maintenance. So if you have, you know, for the next five years, you've got that covered, you can have a little more breathing room for your value add, or you can weather more of a storm if your repairs take longer. You have that big value add there. Has being on site helped you with pushing that process along? Are you really involved in that value-add, the contracting portion of it? Or what exactly is the role you fill while you're being there? Are you strictly the asset manager? Are you leasing out the units? Or what are you doing by being on-site? Yeah. So first off, we do have an on-site manager. He is the property manager. And my
1: role is more on the asset management side. So it's the systems, the workflows, good partnerships with these vendors, and then also being able to take the numbers, see where we're at right now on our profit and loss, and be able to tweak and adjust different things from a thousand level helicopter view than being on site every day. Now, I had a decision when I graduated in May. I love this business. I'm all for it. And I either had to still continue to learn from 3,000 miles away in California, or I had the opportunity to go across the country here in Lexington and learn it from the ground up, how the sausage is made day in and day out, how this business is worked. And I was very fortunate to where I chose the latter. And my mom came with me. We drove out together from California and I live here on site. And I can't tell you, proud myself on learning how to like understand how a lot of these intricacies of real estate really comes down to and specifically apartments and it's great to see that all the work that we've done on both the interior and exterior how grateful these tenants are yesterday a gentleman who lives in one of our units when we took over he's been living there for 12 years and we were able just now to move him to a brand new unit with new flooring, new painting, new lighting, new appliances It just makes me so happy that he has a better living condition and he's very proud of it. So yes,
0: I would say 100%, tenfold, I would not have done it any other way. And having that direct impact on tenants because nobody wants to live somewhere where the owners just neglected it. But there's a lot of people that want to rent. I mean, there's a community aspect of it. You have the retail space below. I mean, A lot of people may want to stay there. But with an absentee owner or an owner that has let the building get, what do you say, 30% vacant or 40% vacant, that pride mm-hmm. is just not there. How is living on site or managing that asset really affected the way you look at acquisitions? I imagine it's really helped with your ability to underwrite in the future as well. Being able to be on site and watching the construction and knowing the exact expenses that come out,
1: how much it costs to do lighting, to do appliances, to all new painting, down to a square foot base. When we're looking at similar assets in the area, I know that it's going to take $8 a square foot to do an entire term. So now in my underwriting, when I'm looking at where we're able to achieve rents, what rents are at now, and what it's going to cost us to get to that position, I have it down to a T. The confidence part of it is huge because before doing your first deal, it's all very abstract and you're just really trusting the process, trusting your partners, your teammates. Once you actually see the process you go through, it's like, this is what it's going to take us to get each unit to this exact level. And we know exactly what the market's going to be. We use the same exact
0: turn every single time, be able to pencil in accurate numbers when looking at new deals. Just having that knowledge is so valuable. I mean, even a couple of dollars off a square foot, underestimating a cost of a turn or a value add can really, really skew those things. It's one of the most important things when underwriting. And that's, again, why some people are afraid to underwrite big value ads, because there's a lot of that risk. There's a lot of reward with it, but there's a lot of things that you can misinterpret or misunderstand. And so really being on site and having that experience is going to help you tremendously. Of course, with this property, bringing the vacancies down, occupancy up. What are some other ways that you guys increased the value and the income of the property? One of the other things that we implemented was laundry. So initially there
1: was just laundry that was available for the tenants, partnered up with a group called Pay Range. And Pay Range is a software-based application to where you can do and charge for your laundry. So it's very simple to use. They take, I think it's like three cents on the dollar for just using their software. So it's very cost-effective and that just goes straight to our top line. Another thing that we've implemented on the top line is going to be pet fees. So monthly reoccurring income for pets. And it's a very minimal amount of work to keep the space a
0: lot cleaner for your residents, but also you know, you're able to increase that top line if those issues do happen. Talking about unique ways to increase that income, I mean, that's something that's so rare that you don't really see a lot. I'm curious, have you gotten pushback from tenants a mixture of people and how they feel about having pets in their rentals anyways. Personally, we're fans. We do like having those pets in there. It does increase the top line, but it's also 60 or 70% of households have a pet. But what has the feedback from residents been who are bringing pets?
1: They actually are appreciative of it. And then another thing with that is one thing that I thought of when you mentioned about pushback by tenants is the noise. Sometimes there's complaints from people about you know, having pets in units. We fully encourage it. But what we do say is that if you are leaving your house, you, know, you have to create your pet. And that has actually eliminated a lot of issues as far as tenants reaching out to our on-site manager and saying, there's a dog barking. So that's something that maybe helps out a lot with noise.
0: A lot of those things, again, you're not really going to learn until you get that first deal. You really get in there. And then also if you're on site, you're going to learn all those things and how you mitigate those small problems that can all add up to the, at the end of the year, costing some real expense. Because every time the manager has to go and acknowledge a complaint or a pet complaint, I mean, that's time that's going to add up and you're paying for that time. What other ways are you tracking performance of the property? Do you use any tools, software that you would recommend? Yep.
1: So... With tracking on the leasing side, we use an application called Showmojo. It's a fantastic application if you want to streamline the operations of your property management and like leasing team. Yeah, so it's one of those softwares where it syndicates out your listing to all you know whatever they, they advertise, like the top one hundred sites, and then it basically funnels in all autonomously the tenant experience or the prospective tenant experience all the way from seeing the listing to scheduling a showing. And all our on-site manager has to do is show up and show the unit. So that really helps. They have really good tracking software into seeing how many leads come in, how many of those leads are confirming their showings, how many actually showed up. And then of those showings, how many applicants do we get? And of those applicants, how many accepted renters come in? So that's along with using specific KPIs such as occupancy, average rents, et cetera, which is all in our AppFolio software, combining that into a single dashboard that then we then take that information and we share it with the partners and investors to be able to give them you know, really high level, quick updates that are real numbers at real time. And I'm happy to share that if anyone right now is doing asset management and tracking their KPIs, I have a template that I can share with you,
0: outlines all of those major aspects that we track on a weekly and monthly basis. What are you seeing for results so far, and what's in the upcoming future for you and your team? Like I said
1: before, we started out; there was forty percent vacancy on the apartment side when we came in. Our business plan was to close, get out of those eleven units, new paint, new flooring, new cabinets, etc., and see what kind of market rents we can achieve. We initially underwrote that we were going to be able to get six forty-five, and that was just based off of comps in the area that are very similar, vintage, and size. And the first day that we posted this listing for one of our units, we got 23 showings just in the first 24 hours. So we said, okay, well maybe 645 is too low. So we actually increased up to 699, about a reduction in half. So we stuck with 699 and since closing in July, we have fully turned and leased out nine out of the 11 units with just two left to go, increasing the average rents from before being you know 512, now up to 639. And that's also
0: including a RUBS program that we instated, a $40 bill back of water, sewer, trash. Great, Dylan. I mean, huge success. And that sounds like a great property You know, with those properties that you do have those high vacancies. It's iffy, right? Because you're thinking to yourself, well, why is it so high? Is there something that we don't know? But it sounds like we're having some great success. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best
1: way is just through email. Diaz and Dylan Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R at urbanrenewalpartners.com. Or you can just shoot me a text. Or give me a call. My phone number is 714 403 9465. I know that when I was in the position where I was six, nine months ago, I really appreciated those who would help me and reach out to me.
0: And I'm very happy to do the same for you. No, I appreciate it. So, listeners will also put that in the show notes Dylan's email and his phone number. Reach out to him how you can. Dylan is an awesome guy and a great resource. Looking forward to following all that continued success. While you're there in the show notes, if you haven't already, download our free ebook. The definitive guide to building generational wealth and passive cash flow through multifamily real estate. And Dylan, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great having you. And to the listeners, we'll see you on the next episode. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it.